This episode is brought to you by a brand new sponsor of the show, Picmonic. Picmonic is an audiovisual learning system with unforgettable stories and characters to help you remember everything you need to know for PT school and beyond. Used by over 1.5 million students all over the world, Picmonic is perfect for streamlining your studying in an efficient manner. Listeners of the show can use the promo code SNACKBREAK in all caps for a 20% discount, and first-time users can start today for free. Getting access to one learning objective and one Picmonic quiz per day, forever, at zero cost. Available on iOS, Android, and desktop. Once again, listeners of the show can use the promo code SNACKBREAK in all caps at checkout. Happy studying, and let's get right into the show. All right. Hello, and welcome to episode 15 of the Snack Break podcast by OrthoSnacks. I'm your host, John Schaefer, and on this podcast, I interview physical therapists, fitness professionals, and health and wellness experts. My guest today is Dr. Brian Schwabit, who is a graduate of St. Louis University's DPT program and the University of Southern California Sports Residency. He's been board certified in sports physical therapy since 2015. He's a registered international sports physio, strength coach, author, and fitness consultant. He's worked with the NBA, NFL, UFC, MLB, WNBA, and MLS. Additionally, he's a co-creator of the Student Physical Therapist website. He's currently working in Irvine, California as Director of Performance and Training at a highly specialized sports performance center and continues to create content surrounding entrepreneurship, sports medicine, consulting, and more. Most recently, he started his own podcast, the Business-Minded Sports Physio Podcast. Um, I actually binge listened to the first three episodes today. You're off to a great start. So thanks. thanks so much for coming on. Really looking forward to having this conversation. And yeah, thanks for, thanks for being on. Thanks for having me, John. Appreciate it. So with some of my guests who are a little bit more accomplished in several different areas, I kind of like to break the show up into multiple segments. So I'm hoping we can start by talking about sports PT, break off into some more of your business ventures, and then finally just talking about what your day-to-day is like and balancing all these different efforts. Um, So I understand that you first kind of got interested in sports PT, uh, working as an aide, doing a little bit of training on the side after you got your CSCS, but what sorts of things were you doing in school? Because I know my experience with the curriculum has been there's often a little bit lacking in terms of sports. We get a lot of information on the general population, um, maybe even a little bit more on geriatrics too, but I feel like sports outside of maybe a seminar class uh, often gets left behind. So what sorts of things were you doing while you were a student to stay on top of that? Yeah, you are right. I mean, it, PT school makes it more of a generalist. So uh, for me, you know, I was looking outside the box always, right? I was trying to think about, okay, what's, what's the next five, 10 years look like? And it started with first kind of looking up people back in probably 2010 and, and going on the internet and just doing my research. Hey, sports PTs in the Google, right? It started as simple as that. And, you know, at the time there wasn't a whole lot out there. Um, but what I do remember is you had people like Mike Reinold, uh, George Davies, um, some of the more established sports physical therapists out there. So um, I did a lot of reading. Um, I would reach out to different sports physical therapists throughout the country and just really just talk with them and just get, get a, an earful of just knowledge and advice and guidance. So that's where I started, but actually in PT school, I took that advice and I was like, okay, I can at least volunteer at events. I can speak with a few of my professors. So at the time at St. Louis university, we had three sports clinical specialists on staff. 
And the program director was a sports clinical specialist. So he had a wealth of knowledge that I could tap into. And he was willing to at least talk with me about that and offer some guidance on, you know, different event coverages, uh, different things like becoming an emergency medical responder. And then, you know, using all those things to just take it one step further. So I did all those things to try to just get a little bit more knowledge in sports PT and exposed to the field, the strength conditioning room, doing those things on my own. And that's where I would spend my weekends as opposed to maybe going out or hanging out with friends and things like that. So that became kind of the focus for me. Do you feel like there are any common themes along the advice you received reaching out to so many different people? I don't know if there would be common themes. I think everyone had a different perspective, uh, which mm -hmm. now years later being in this field, I can understand that. But I think that the one thing they did say is that there's not one path, right? And, and I think that based on my experience, I can completely agree with that. There really is not one path. I mean, the path mm -hmm. I thought I was on totally led me in a different direction, but got me to the ultimate goal. And if you would have told me that in the thick of it, I would have said, I don't see how that's going to lead there, but it did from everything I was doing ahead of time. So would you say that in general, it just required a lot of patience and knowing that things are going to work out eventually, or was there a lot of frustration along the way trying to find that path? Patience is not one of my strong suits. So I I'm think the same way. Me, for me, it, it was, there was definitely frustrations, but there was also an internal belief the whole time. And, and I think that I developed that through hard work, uh, dedication, and just focus that I felt like I was putting into it that I didn't see some of my colleagues necessarily doing or my, my mm -hmm. even students in PT school. And I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, just I felt like the path I was going to be on eventually would lead me there if I continued to take a look at what I was doing and change it and make sure that I made small adjustments along the way. And that's what made the biggest change in my career, basically, is making those adjustments and being like really honest with myself. Okay, is this working or do I need to change something a little bit and then move on to a different segment? Okay. And in terms of like the adjustments you made, is there, is there any advice you'd have for just in terms of keeping track of those adjustments or I guess just a yeah. little bit more specific? Yeah. For, for me, every year I'd make goals. Right. And mm -hmm. I, I recognize that the first two years that I made goals and I put them on a big whiteboard and put them on my calendar and I would look at them every day. And I realized that after the first two years, I achieved all those goals. And I was like, wow, I'm really not setting my, my bar high enough. My ultimate goal bar was way up there, but the smaller goals to try to lead up to that, I was achieving within six, eight months because I was you know, trying to really go after them. So what it taught me was I need to really set the bar 10 times higher if I want to achieve something, which is my ultimate goal, which at the time was working in professional basketball and, you know, you know, being able to pay off loans and things like that. Right. And becoming an entrepreneur. Right. So I, I started making bigger goals. And from there, I started learning that the bigger the goals I made, I still would somehow accomplish them. And I recognized that there really wasn't a limit if you if you didn't allow your mind to go there. So. I'd say that was one, one thing I did adjustment wise. And the other thing was just finding a new network. That was huge. I think that I tapped into a network that I thought I had really solid, but I recognized it really wasn't getting me to a place that I wanted to get to. And once I changed my network completely over time, everything changed for me. Would you say that network kind of just started to grow as you reached out to more and more people and started forming those relationships or is there any other key to it? I think the key was I was, uh, almost too professional early on in my career. And, and uh, I thought I had to be that way. 
And, and I think that what I learned was we're all just people, you know, we all just want to be able to have a conversation like you and me are right now. And we all share similar passions. If you're going after sports, physical therapy, or let's say you like basketball or entrepreneurship, you want to just be able to have a conversation with somebody. And, uh, you know, I think I kept it almost too professional at times. And, and I recognize, you know what, that's not the lifestyle I want either. I understand, you know, so changing my network up, reaching out to more people, like you said, was, was kind of the game changer, but also just recognizing that it's okay to just enjoy each other's company. And that actually gave me the, the biggest boost. Okay. Definitely, definitely balance and professionalism. You need to get some, but I yeah. see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so after, after you kind of made all those efforts, reached out to all sorts of different people, you come to a point where you're getting ready to graduate from PT school. Um, and then, so you go on to start applying to all sorts of different sports residency programs. I know this, I know you have a whole video on this, but what would you say is, I guess the biggest thing to think about when you're considering if you want to do a residency in sports versus orthopedics? or what the advantages of one versus other might be if your ultimate goal is, you know, working with athletes. I don't think you can go wrong with either one. I mean, orthopedics is a foundation for sports. Ultimately, mm -hmm. I, I think that if you're, but if you, if you really want to go sports, then you probably want to have some experience within that uh, interdisciplinary team and you're going to get that exposure in a sports residency. So if you're going to choose between sports and ortho, but you're, you're leaning, like I want a sports career, I could probably make the argument for sports, but I could also make the argument for orthopedics. You know, it, it depends on what you're willing to do outside of your typical residency program, right? The, the curriculum that is laid out for you. So if you're in an orthopedic residency program, but there's opportunity to jump into some sports things or, or at least collaborate with sports residents, then you're going to get some things out of it. Uh, likewise, I, I tell people all the time, you could probably make your own residency experience nowadays anyways, between different online educations and meeting with people. Um, but again, it just depends on your particular goals. Okay. So with that being said, and just the idea of how much content there's available online, I guess, what do you think the value of a residency is? Um, do you think it's increasing or decreasing as we get more resources available? You know, I, I still think there's a lot of value in residency. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe I'm biased because I went right into it and, and I felt like I had a good experience with it, even though I felt like I struggled during it. I think that was mm -hmm. an important step in my career. But I, I think that there's definitely more value, in my opinion, still for residency. I think that the way it's being structured, um, and I think that the way that um, the pay is for at least sports PTs and sports residency, it's a little difficult. It's a little mm -hmm. difficult. I can, and, I, and I can see that being a challenge for a lot of, a lot of uh, clinicians, whether you're younger or more established. I mean, I was coming right out of PT school and I did mine. So from my aspect, um, especially out of St. Louis University's uh, program, it was a direct entry program. So I was like, well, I was either going to do another year PT school somewhere else. And now I have residency and plus I'm already broke anyway. So I might as well do it, stay broke and live the way I'm used to, and then hopefully get something out of it. That was my okay. perspective. I'm starting orthopedic residency in September. I just like to play devil's advocate. Nice. Well, so, I listen, awesome. I, I, and I think that you, you'll get a lot out of that. I don't know what your future career goals are, but I think that, again, no matter what, you're going to get the established skills you need. And that's step one. You have to have the skills, mm -hmm. right? You can have all the people skills, but if you don't have the skills, you're not going to stay in the job anyways that you want ultimately. Mm -hmm. 
I think that's fair. It's, it's a little bit interesting because I feel like my long-term goals aren't super well-defined. I think it's going to be a phenomenal experience to get more exposure, like teaching, research, um, get a really solid base in orthopedics, and then maybe, maybe I can make some more decisions into what I want to dive into a little bit further. So For sure. It's going to expose you to a lot. Mm-hmm. So once you finally graduated from the sports residency at I mean, to me, it seems like things kind of took off. So you started working with, um, started working with more athletes, had the opportunity to work with performers, celebrities. I mean, how did you kind of ensure that you were going to be in a position to be successful following that residency? Like, what was your next step um, after you graduated and seeking out jobs to make sure you could take full advantage of all the education just completed? Yeah, I, you know, for me, it was finding the right fit. Uh, I was, mm-hmm. I was uh, it kind of stumbled into my first job, which was. Uh, just uh, from a, a networking thing that I established during PT school. And that was a start, startup company at the time. And, and I loved my experience there. I think that um, I can probably honestly say that helped me really start my career in a very positive way because of the type of clients we had, but also allowed me to build up my confidence as a clinician and learn about surgeries that um, just because that particular clinic saw a lot of surgeries in sports medicine that I just didn't have exposure to in residency. So uh, for me to sit here and say that I've had experience and success with those things is because of that first career job as well. But I also learned along the way that um, as I got through that for a couple of years, ultimately that was not going to lead me to my end career goal. And I needed to start to learn about, okay, how do I bridge that next step into trying to establish myself as an expert clinician and also take some leadership roles, but also take on some entrepreneurial things I'm very interested in that that particular setup is not really, you know, set up for. And that was where lots of courses, lots of mentorship, uh, lots of discussions with other clinicians. And again, changing that network made all the difference. And so that was all following graduation. You feel like you're still kind of trying to refine your network and things like that. I still, I still feel like I'm still refining my network. I think my network is a lot more established now, uh, just based on where I'm at in my career and what I'm doing now, because I'm finally in the role that I've always been looking for. But mm-hmm. it's, it, it, it's been, it, it's every year has changed, and I think that's a good thing. That means that you're you're refining things constantly, and I think that you know along the way you 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 know you'll you'll find yourself. Uh, looking at what you're doing and asking yourself, is this exactly what I want to do? Or is there something else, a different path I want to take? Or can I add something to it? Or do I need to subtract? And that's, that's where every clinician, you know, has to decide what is it that I want out of my career? Okay. I think that's really powerful advice because I feel like we get in these situations where you have this end goal in mind and you're so set on it that sometimes you aren't willing to adapt and realize that, Hey, this might not actually be what I want. It's okay to pivot or go in a little bit direction. So I really appreciate that. I think a lot of people would appreciate hearing that too. Um, so what would you say your biggest piece of advice is to PTs trying to market themselves to, you know, whether it's athletes, actors, performers, um, anyone who might be outside of that general population? I think first, the best way to do it is or the easiest way is to find a market that is going to have those things, right? So mm-hmm. this is where planning ahead for me was important because for residencies, I even chose USC over Fairview of Minnesota or Mississippi or Ohio State, things like that, for the reason that I knew LA was a big market for professional athletes. And with my end goal in mind, I knew that 
if I was out there and I established myself and I found some connections and, and did a good job that I would probably have a better chance of seeing that population more often. So I think that's first and foremost, but outside of that, there are definitely ways that you can market yourself to those particular type of athletes or clients, right? And I think that first and foremost, it starts with just doing a really good job for any client that you do see, because you're going to start to establish yourself as a go-to person. And then when you do have that opportunity to be in front of somebody, let's say like a professional athlete or a celebrity or performer or whatever type of client that you're looking for, that's outside of that norm, you have to be ready for it. And that means your skills have to be up to par. Your ability to be able to connect with them has to be up to par. And more importantly, you don't want to be one of those people that is almost like a fan, right? You need to just understand that you need to treat them like you would treat anybody else. And that's such a cliche thing to say, but I see so many younger clinicians that try to go too far with things with like, let's say a first time professional athlete. And I'll tell you, if you were to see my practice, like you would see me do the most basic things in the world with people that are at the highest level, right? It's, it's not about what you think you need to do with them. It's what do they actually need and how are you going to communicate to that to them? Right. And is that going to make them better and get them to trust you? Right. And that's where it's more of the art versus just the science part of physical therapy or even training in that respect. Right. You need to understand that art. And that's a finesse thing that you establish over time and get better with over time. So do you feel like in some of your first experiences working with college and pro athletes, would you would you say um, you fell maybe a little bit more close to that? fan experience or not really or were you always a little bit more grounded I don't know if I'd say I fell into that fan experience I would say I fell into the intimidation experience okay meaning meaning that I was constantly questioning myself versus establishing a front that um, gave confidence to that particular person in front of me Uh, but I used that recognition of that to say okay I need to ask my more experienced clinicians my bosses things like that for that feedback and that's where mentorship comes into play, right? Um, similar to the way I, I have it now where I'm in a clinic director role and I have a, a very established clinic and uh, established clientele that it's primarily professional athletes. And I have a physical therapist that's under me that is residency trained, that does have experience, but wants that feedback. And I'm able to share some of those experiences with him. And, and as a result, like, you know, he can get better as well, right? Because he's open to it, just like I was open to it. I think you have to be open to feedback and recognize where your deficiencies might be in order to get better. Okay, awesome. Uh, My next question is, so I'm curious about your registered international sports physio status. Uh, I guess I'm not entirely sure what it means. I know it's awarded to an extremely select few group of individuals. I think the website said there's maybe 16 other people in the US with that distinction. Um, So I mean, what, what exactly is it? What does it allow you to do? Is it just give me yeah. give me a little bit of details on it. Uh, it actually is not that hard to get. It's it's <laughs> if you're a, if you're a board certified SCS in the U.S., you can apply mm-hmm. for it. You pay a nominal fee, and you're automatically get granted that certification. Now, the reason why I did it is so that I could start to establish my network in uh, different areas across the sea, for example, right? Like abroad. Mm-hmm. The idea with that is I'm starting to travel more and more with athletes. I'm starting to travel more with clientele. I, I just want to be able to speak to other clinicians and establish sports physios in other countries, right? That was the idea with, with a, going after a certification like that, which is, again, as simple as just applying and paying a nominal fee. 
So it's not anything yeah. that's super special. Uh, it sounds better than it really is, but there's a reason why I did it. And because I want to speak more, I want to be able to do those things and um, have more of a worldwide presence versus maybe just a, um, a presence in the U.S. Awesome. So just having a lot to do with unlocking more networking opportunities, it sounds like. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. I think that covers most of what I want to talk about for the sports segment. So pivoting a little bit more towards consulting, business ventures. Um, when did you first get interested in consulting? Again, I feel like it's not something that's covered very well in school. Um, it's something I think is extremely interesting, but it, at the same time, it's like, what, what's the entry point? How do you get involved? And I just want to preface this entire business segment by saying that, you know, Brian's got extensive courses covering these topics. So you can dive in deeper uh, at brianschwabedpt.com. So don't feel like you need to go super, super in depth because I know you got a lot more information on it out there. Yeah, no, I, I think I think uh, you bring up a good point. Like it's not covered, but it, it's it's possible. And I think that one of the things that I've learned in in my career so far is that there's not really a limit to what you can do as a physical therapist. I think we pigeonhole ourselves too much, but um, especially in economical times like now or even the pandemic, I think people are starting to realize that there has to be a, other ways to generate income as a physical therapist. And guess what? There is there there is ways to establish yourself as an expert and help people, but outside of your typical just rehab setting. So consulting became became something uh, for me to do by accident in some ways, meaning that I was working on the side with a lot of different clientels, um, athletes that I wasn't necessarily getting at my current job. And I was you know living far away from my current job. So I was traveling about an hour to my current job well, it's, you know, 45, 50 miles away, I'm in a hotbed of, of athletes. So, you know, on weekends, I was looking to make more money. So I was working with, you know, personal training clients and also working with some physical therapy clients. And at the time, I wanted to keep growing that. But over doing a good job and just talking with more and more parents, you know, they started to introduce me to coaches and a gymnastics gym. So that led me to speaking with the coaches and, you know, they wanted to potentially talk to me about ways that they could mitigate injuries and get some, you know, information on how to improve flexibility and things about things like that for the most part, right? Because if you think about a coach's job, and at least in a gymnastics gym, they're constantly working with thousands of athletes, right? Hundreds at a time sometimes. And they're swamped. So if, if you know, guys and girls are going up to them and saying, oh, this hurts or, you know, I have this issue. Well, one, they can't train. And two, now you have to, you know, help them out and take away time from your practice. So I figured out how to solve a problem for them. And that problem was they don't know what to do when someone's injured. They need professional help with that. And they want to be able to do their job and not have to think about other things. Well, now I set up a, a, a pitch to them saying, well, why don't I come in one or two times a month for two or three hours, be at your practices for the teams that you need the most help with. And then this way, when some of the girls or guys are getting injured or have established things, you can send them over to me. As long as their parents signed a waiver ahead of time, this is in that wellness category, right? Which is under our practice law. I can help them with flexibility, strength and conditioning type programs. And if they need established PT, we can set that up outside of this. So now I've helped them out. Now I've been able to give them information and then follow up with them so that they feel knowledgeable and they're learning at the same time. So now they can say during the weekdays, 
go talk or go do Brian's program if you're having the shoulder stiffness that you were dealing with, right? And now it makes their job easier. So that became something that just kind of spread over time. And they brought me in for two, three hours a, a week, basically. So I was doing it weekly for a while and, and ended up doing it for about three and a half years up until the pandemic with that particular gymnastics club. And that was very lucrative. But I also started doing it with an AAU basketball club on and off. That, that was a little bit less than the gymnastics club, but I loved doing it because it gave me something that was different from the clinic setting that could still help athletes and also educate clients, parents, athletes, coaches, and uh, it grew into a nice business. Awesome. So with something like gymnastics, do you have any kind of background or what kind of research did you need to do leading up to taking on that role? My original mentor back in Chicagoland area was actually a very established gymnastics um, PT. She actually worked in the Olympics and she was my first mentor. I'm still in touch with her. Her name is Gina Pongetti. She's an incredible physical therapist. So um, I've had some knowledge, but I actually definitely reached out to her and would just get some information from her and then also just did my own homework, right? I mean, it, it, it was not that I was an established perfect gymnastics type PT, but basics still applied, understanding the anatomy of the sport, understanding like the different things that they had to go through in that sport was built on from my prior knowledge with her and also just from learning some new knowledge. Okay, and then with these different consulting opportunities, what do you say for the most time, for the most part, it kind of pans out as you being on site? Yes. Yeah, I was on site for basically every time I was there, right, at the practices. And then from there, I would start to unlock other opportunities within that opportunity. And I think that's where the art of entrepreneurship comes into play, right, and learning how to upsell, meaning that, okay, I'm here helping with all these things right now, but why don't we get ahead of this? Why don't we start with preseason established movement screens next year for anybody that's interested, okay? So instead of it coming out of the particular club's pocket, now it comes out of the parent's pocket for anyone that wants that extra individualized attention, right? Mm -hmm. And this way we can also hopefully, you know, not be reactive, but more proactive going forward, right? And then, so now I've built this one consulting opportunity into, okay, now I'm doing preseason screenings for a separate fee in season every single week at the club and then also some side physical therapy and personal training type opportunities so now i've established that into three income sources from one particular consulting gig okay very interesting and then when you first are approaching a company or team do you feel like most of the times people are pretty receptive to the opportunity or do you get like a lot of pushback i think that when I've gone about it, like let's say the AU club was a, it was a fresh one, right? Just um, mm -hmm. reaching out. I think that you have to understand each stakeholder's needs, meaning that if you're a coach, what do you want your players to always have, right? And that's most of the time availability. Um, where do you need to fill in gaps that you would be willing to pay for, right? And is that in the budget? Those are all questions you need to probably have an idea about going into it and be ready mm -hmm. to answer, right? So for an AU basketball club, why would they need a physical therapist on site to help with? Well, I can do more than one thing, right? I can also be an emergency medical responder if they want me to be there because I am an emergency medical responder. I can help with all the athletes as an on-site consultant, but now I'm actually adding value to that business because that particular AU club, which is very competitive, right? Has mm -hmm. a physical therapist on staff 
that they can now say when they're pitching to clients, all right, when they're pitching to parents, hey, not only do we do X, Y, and Z, but we also have a physical therapist, strength coach, and emergency medical responder that is part of our AU club or gymnastics gym, right? So I think that if you can find a way to establish, you know, more business for them as well, that's going to help you in the door for consulting, right? So there's different clubs that you can do that with. Now you can probably do it with high schools as well. I've had a little bit of background with working with private high schools, but public high schools are a little bit tougher. There's not as much of a budget. So you have to find where your niche is, right? And uh, find where you can add value to that particular club. Okay. And have you done any consulting for companies or has it all been sports teams for the most part? It's all been sports teams. Yeah, that's just that's just where my passion lies and that's where my expertise lies. Okay. Do you feel like on a broader scale, there's a lot more opportunity for consulting that people aren't tapping into? I do. I, I think there's a huge opportunity for it. I mean, if, if you think about it this way, most established clubs are competing against each other. But what do they all have, especially coming out of the pandemic? Tons of injuries, tons of just knowledge gaps, and they all want to get back onto the field quickly because they haven't done anything for two years. I think now is probably the most important time to try to go after different sports teams and try to establish relationships, even if it's not every week, even if just once a month, even if it's just, you know, going in there to help with injury prevention things, you can pitch a lot of different things in order to help that club and add value. So, yeah, I do. Okay. So it sounds like it's a lot of just, you know, finding the angle, finding the gaps and then taking advantage of them. So hopefully we see more of that in the future, how to PT. For sure. So I guess the last question I kind of have it just in terms of businesses with the student physical therapist website, what was it like running that website during school? How has it evolved and then what direction do you see it moving forward, especially with the relaunch? Yeah. So that started in PT school with uh, two of my classmates, uh, Jim and Chris, and it's changed a lot over the years. We didn't actually establish it into a business until probably 2017. We we're a little bit behind the ball there. But uh, it, it has grown so much because the original content we put on, which it started with just special test videos and, and just things we were learning in school because we learned better from a video format. But then we all decided to do residencies, both in orthopedics and sports and become established experts. So that gave us a, a big platform to start to build off of, to share our experiences and also our, our knowledge. And over time, um, we all got busier in our careers and we decided to change it, right? Because it started to lose steam as, as a group. So we had our insider access page that, that launched and we had great content behind it. But recently we decided to change the format completely. So Jim and myself decided to go forward with the company and, and bite off of Chris so that just the two of us run it now, reestablish what it is, add tons more value to all of our subscribers. and now our focus is basically creating your own residency experience online, meaning that Jim and myself have tons of experience in sports and orthopedic manual therapy, um, sports and orthopedic rehab, but also business experience. He's a cash PT owner. I'm an out-of-network owner, not an owner, clinic director. Um, I've had tons of entrepreneurial experiences. And even though I have tons of courses, we have a subscription page, Insider Access, that basically has hundreds and hundreds of videos and education to help people create what they think should be their residency experience. It's a mentorship in some ways, right? And for us, that has been 
a lot of fun because we love teaching, right? We love being able to add that stuff, right? So inside the student physical therapist, we have our business minus sports physio podcast. We have a day in the life sports physical therapist. We have some biomechanical things coming up and uh, it's been fun. So we're, we're looking forward to the next six months because there's some big things in the works. Awesome. Just wanted to give you a chance to touch on that a little bit because I know it's been in the works for a while. So that's awesome. Yeah. And you'll be you'll be happy Thank to you. know your your videos live on with uh, Bar Barb and Ann still play them. So that's awesome. Did they? Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> They're very uh, old. Yep. So I want to. The last thing I want to talk about is just a little bit about your current role. Um, you've talked about how it's kind of the ideal fit, combining everything that you've worked so hard for over the last decade. Um, but how is your time split throughout the week between all these different ventures? Like, how do you stay on track? What are you doing day to day? Just give us a little bit of insight there. Yeah, I mean, my primary role is is as director of IO Sports Therapy. So our, our, our clinic is basically split up as a um, out-of-network, one-on-one cash-based PT practice that is established with partnership with Stanford Power, which is a high performance staff. So we are housed inside a 50,000 square foot facility, which has a basketball court, turf field, full weight room, uh, full PT practice clinic, as well as a sports agency upstairs. So uh, from the sports medicine side of things, we act as basically uh, the PT providers for all the athletes that come in and for Rep One Sports Agency, among some other agencies that bring their guys in. And then obviously we see athletes from the community as well. So we have a very established niche practice in sports physical therapy. But what's unique about it is we're set up as a team with Sanford Power, meaning that we operate very similarly to a professional team environment where we're the sports medicine providers. They do the performance training. We have skills trainers on the basketball court. And we have a football staff as well that is doing all the field drills for whether it's the NFL combine, NBA combine, or the established veterans baseball, hockey, basketball, and football. So for me, it's kind of the, the dream job, right? I, I always wanted to work in the NBA for the interdisciplinary setting. I kind of have that now, right? The, the difference is I don't answer to a team. I answer to you know, the other stakeholders, the agents, the athletes, the high performance staff, my own staff. Um, and I have a little bit more freedom. So if I want to travel with a client, I can do that, right? If I, if I want to stay at the clinic and, and work with great athletes and, and, and fun colleagues, I can do that too. So I'm um, really blessed with that opportunity. To answer your question though, about how I split up everything, um, I've kind of taken a back seat to certain entrepreneurial things uh, because I've added those, some of those entrepreneurial things into our practice. So consulting, for example, would be built into IO Sports Therapy now. So we're working on closing a soccer club right now and a hockey club. So that is built into IO Sports Therapy because I don't have time for that outside of what I'm doing, right? Um, now, you know, the courses, the student physical therapist, uh, virtual personal training, that is all separate. And that's primarily on weekends, right? I spend that only in my free time. And that allows me to still build income. Um, some of it passive, you know, from books and things like that. And then some of it active. And then, you know, that way I can kind of hit everything I want to hit, but I build it all the way through for the most part, the company, which is to me most important. Mm -hmm. So being in an environment where you're working with strength coaches and physical therapists, that's kind of the setup I'm in this summer. So I'm one of, I think, seven strength coaches, and then there's maybe eight or nine physical therapists. Nice. Um, it's, it's really, it's a cool model to have that kind of collaboration, because I don't think I've ever realized before, you know, how much um, of a spectrum there is from rehab to performance. You talk about it a little bit in one of your podcasts, how that 
it's almost a buzz concept, the rehab performance, but I mean, do you see more collaboration between strength coaches and PTs um, moving forward in the future? Or do you think it only works within uh, certain clinic settings or operations? I think it's, it's, uh, it's very possible. There should be more of it. The problem that I see is that egos get in the way. And uh, I'm really lucky that we don't have that issue at our particular setup. Uh, we're very established. We have weekly meetings. We have daily meetings. We know, and I think it's a little different in private sector too. And that's why I don't, you don't see too many private sector practices set up correctly because you know, you're, you're running a business too, right? Both of you are running businesses. So you have to be very uh, upfront with each other. You have to communicate really strongly on a daily basis and probably over communicate. I think that's the most important thing. So the way we handle it is we take care of all the sports medicine needs. And as that athlete's progressing through, they're still doing performance training, right? Because I'm a big believer that they should always be doing some type of performance training. And as soon as I hit certain KPIs from a sports medicine side of things, which I've already established with the performance staff, they know, hey, this guy's done X, Y, and Z. And we can take them forward going with this, but I still have check-ins with that athlete. So, you know, you take the big three, like running, jumping, or lateral movement. I have my three levels of KPIs and I can say, okay, athlete A has done level one and two of, you know, their lateral movement progressions. Go ahead and feel comfortable with your level one, two progressions for performance training and push them, right? So, you know, that's where some physios, I think, want to do a little bit too much. And that might, you know, cause some clashes or maybe the performance staff feels like, okay, I should be doing those level ones and twos only. And that's where they can clash. So you can see there can be some issues potentially, unless you've already established that. And you as a staff from both entities are willing to compromise for the greater good of the athlete. And I think that's where you need to be skilled, uh, have no ego, and just feel like you have that shared consciousness with that particular staff that you're working with. Yeah, having a systematic approach for everyone to follow, I think makes things a lot easier too. Um, yeah. one, one other question just about the overall business. Um, well, I don't know if this is about business. This is more about just the performance operations you guys have in place. So what metrics were you using commonly just to measure different testing uh, before you had access to all this technology in your current role? What was I using prior to this role mm -hmm. or, or, or now? Um, I guess now versus before, like what I think that an issue that I feel like a lot of PTs have is just not having objective measurable data. Um, so I was wondering if there's anything that you used before. I, I always use the, yeah, I always use a crane scale or a handheld dynamometer always. Okay. Um, maybe not my first job. We didn't have those. Um, but as I got onto previous jobs, I actually just bought them. So okay. I, I, I use those. I felt like it was a, a reasonable cost. So I use that very consistently as a way to measure something. Um, you know, there, there are some other tools out there, but I think that's probably the one that I've used the most. I still use it, you know, in my practice. Now, obviously we have access to force plates and, you know, 1080 motion machines and everything under the, all the bells and whistles you can ever imagine is the particular setup I have now. That doesn't make you a good practitioner. What makes you a good practitioner is being consistent with what you're objectively measuring and making sure that that data is actually changing your programming to make a difference and then retesting constantly to make sure that you have established KPIs. 
So prior to it, just probably handheld dynamometer was probably the most I had access to uh, myself. Now I would play around with different wearables that I would buy myself, but no other clinic provided that. They weren't willing to. And I think that's unfortunately a problem in the profession. Uh, we'll spend tons of money on bands and all these other things. And that's great, but I think we need to, to at least at a very minimum have a handheld dynamometer and maybe eventually force plates if we can. Okay. I just think it's interesting because I didn't have handheld dynamometers for a single one of my clinicals. It's just really, so. I didn't either. I didn't either. I didn't even have it in residency, but that was also, gosh, almost 10 years ago now. But I think that uh, it's becoming more of a established norm, hopefully. Um, and if it's not, then hopefully that particular uh, clinician is willing to refer out to somebody where they can actually make measurable um, objective data for, let's say, a return to ACL type testing, because hop testing is just not going to cut it. All right. And then the last thing that I have here is just kind of a quick round. Big, the big five questions I ask all my guests. Brian, are you up for it? Sure. All right. What is your biggest key to a successful day? I would say probably just making sure that everything I did it was all necessary the previous days, weeks, and months. So my successful day happened because of things I did in the past that I was consistent are you, with. Are you any kind of a to-do list guy or anything to keep in order day to day? Big to-do list guy, big uh, calendar guy. Awesome. Um, next question. What do you wish someone would have told you five years ago that would have impacted how you practice or who you are today? Um, probably ignore the naysayers and trust your gut and work ethic. Awesome. Uh, next question. What book or product has positively impacted your life the most over the last three months? I am finishing a book called Mastery right now by Robert Green. Uh, great strategies and uh, good history lessons on people trying to master their craft. Awesome. Is there any quote or mantra that you live by? Yes, many. Um, I think one that I love, um, it's a quote from Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, it's never ever think small. If you're going to achieve anything in life, you have to think big and shoot for the stars. All right. And then last question, signature question of the podcast, Brian Schwabe, what is your favorite snack? Ooh, um, cashews. Cashews, I like it. it. We haven't had yeah. a single, we haven't had a single repeat snack yet. I like it. Um, no. <laughs> no. Nice. So thanks so much for coming on. If people want to follow you or follow your journey, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram. I don't post too much there, but I'd say the student physical therapist, if you want to learn some stuff, uh, studentphysicaltherapist.com, um, brianschwabedpt.com and, um, probably Instagram is probably the best. Okay. Awesome. Thank cool. you so much for taking time to chat with me. I really, really enjoyed it. And I'm sure my listeners are going to get a lot of value out of this conversation. I know I did. So great talking to you, John. It. Appreciate it. Yep. Have a great rest of your weekend. You as well. All right. Bye.